Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. my friend that's good because i was doing a british accent by accident again uh hello <laughs> i do love it when you do a british accent which one was it yes i was like hello, hello. it was the hello uh, uh, hello uh, hello Steph. Uh, hello. uh yes welcome listeners to uh set phases a highly illogical star trek podcast uh it's my vague james mason voice i guess oh. uh that yes, every time. That, it will do it every time. Yeah, you're watching a very special, you're watching and listening to a very special episode of Set Phasers in which we come to you on a Sunday in order to get through enough episodes to get ready for season three. So today's date is Stardate 20927.4, and we will be discussing season two, episodes seven and eight. Mm. And how um, many weeks are we? What, what, how many? What's the countdown to season three? Um, season three will begin uh, October 15th, I believe, or 13th, if I'm not mistaken. So we have two Fridays remaining. Oh, it's a lot. Yes. Yes, it is a lot. Two Fridays remaining, and after this, six episodes to cover. So we'll be doing one more bonus episode. Oh, there it is. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> no one needs to hear that. <laughs> it's Sunday. I'm relaxing. I've got my hot Chilling. cup of set phases brew. What brew do we have today? Um, it's it's coffee. It's uh, Klingon coffee. Are, we, are you feeling like a Janeway? It's. I feel like it's. It, you can either be Janeway or you can be Picard. I'm Janewaying for sure. Janeway. I'm, I'm a coffee drinker. Mm. I let my hair down and I drink some coffee because I'm Janeway. That's right. Do the hair flick. Yeah. All right, Aki. Let's run it down. Uh, let's run it down. It's time to run it down. Can you run it down for me? Can you run it down? We <laughs> shall run it down. All right. Episode seven is called uh, Light and Shadows. Uh, it begins with a voiceover from Michael Burnham. And she's saying that her, her mother, Amanda, told her that uh, the mysteries of life are three parts birth, life, and death, the past, the present, and the future. Uh, but the question they ask themselves now is who, whose future and why? And where is the Red Angel from? What future? What does it need to know? And uh, so far, they know that Spock would probably know because he predicted these seven signs in the Red Angel uh, several months before it happened. But he had a mental break and his shuttle disappeared in the Mutara sector. And so Michael has asked Pike, she can go to Vulcan and speak with her parents, particularly her mother, because she suspects Amanda might know more about where Spock is than Sarek. And Pike gives her leave. He says, uh, go ahead and uh, let me know what happens. Meanwhile, Disco is going to stay around uh, the planet of Kaminar and check out the, the debris field. And the, there's like a, a sort of 
leftover radiation from the the Red Angel event that happened at the end of the last season episode, rather. So uh, Michael takes off on the bridge. They're talking about what they're seeing. There's a lot of tachyon radiation and particulates, but Tilly says that like the readings are off the charts, as as in there's no power source that they know of that could create this amount of tachyon radiation, a technology that has not yet been invented. Uh, and so Tyler arrives. Remember, he's the liaison to Section 31, sort of um, sticking out like a sore thumb on the ship because he has some pretty uh, messy history with everyone. Uh, but he asks, hey, where's Michael? Why did she leave? Where is she going? And Pike says, hey, I'm not going to tell you, man. This is uh, She went to do some stuff. She's taking some leave, and um, I don't need to tell you. And he's like, well, listen, I'm the liaison. And she's looking for Spock. You got to tell me because I got to tell Section 31. And he shows him his Section 31 badge. And Pike looks at the badge, and he says... Uh, Mr. Tyler, the chair outranks the badge. I like that so moment. That was cool. It's great. It's like, take a seat. Actually, Pike has some pretty good some pretty good lines throughout these two episodes. He's really coming into his own. Because he's been challenged recently. He had Saru who squared up to him, who's a good foot taller than him. Yeah, Saru is, yeah, well, he's, he doesn't seem intimidated. Mm. Yeah, And he did have a word with Saru privately afterwards and said, you know, we're not, that's not going to happen again. Yeah. But when it was Lorca, it was very public in front of the crew. Yeah, exactly. Lorca needed to assert his dominance in a, in a, in a public theater, mm. uh, whereas Pike is willing to let people sort of, uh, well, hoist themselves uh, by their own petards, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> that's enough levity. Uh, so the ship is basically is trying to get close to this this radiation that's kind of got like a, there's like a temporal rift happening here and the ship gets a little too close and, and uh, they actually starting to get pulled into the rift. And as they're looking around the ship, weird things are happening. Like things that happened 30 seconds ago were repeat repeating and like ghostly images. It shows Pike once again on the chair, you know, talking smack. Um, so they have to actually pull back. There's a rift in, in space time. And so in order to get their probe, their, their like readings close enough because they, they send a probe in, but the probe just gets completely lost. Uh, Pike is willing to pilot a shuttle. He and Tyler will pilot a shuttle nearer and then get more readings off of the second probe, right? Um, apparently he was a test pilot, and so he's prepared for this kind of crazy business. So Pike and Tyler are walking to the shuttle and Pike sort of lets on that he's not super comfortable with Tyler because of the whole Volk thing and, you know, being an enemy and maybe not trusting Tyler. And he said, and Ash basically says, sorry, but there's no way to get rid of him, sir. Speaking of, of Volk. And Pike says, I know the feeling. <laughs> and then walks on ahead, which I actually thought was a nice Pike move. He's just, he's just good with the low, the mm. low key quips. Uh, so Michael is arriving on Vulcan she managed to get permission to land at uh, Sarek's residence uh, as his daughter, but not officially as a Starfleet officer. She has a brief flashback. Oh, sorry. It's all right. I don't uh, know if you wanted the flashback. I didn't. I didn't tell you that wait, you needed this you, stuff. You so. didn't, and now I can't. Hold on, let me set you up for it. She arrives and has a quick flashback. There it is. I have so many sound effects. They're hard to find. I know. You've got dozens. You've got a, you've got a veritable cornucopia. I do. I have about two season. or three dozen, actually. If you must yeah, that's, that's, that's well, I, I, was, I was not prying. And in um, fact, you made most of them. 
Well, no, no, no. We need to get into that. Uh, okay, so Michael arrives on Vulcan. She has a brief flashback. Hello. She has a brief flashback about the day, uh, once again, when she met Amanda. She was brought home by Sarek after her parents were killed, and Amanda introduces her to Spock. And she has a wonderful memory as she's passing the, like, three-dimensional chess set of her and Spock. Mm. And she's trying to do the Vulcan salute, and she can't do it, and she's laughing at herself, and Spock's confused. He's like, how do you laugh at yourself out of because you're 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 making something an error, and she says, "I don't know." It's just funny, and he says, "Emotions confuse me," and then Michael says, "They confuse me too," and then they put their hands together, and he shows her how to do the Vulcan salute. It's very sweet. Okay, so then Amanda's like, "It's so good that you're back home," and she shows uh, Michael Sarek, who apparently has been for several days entering the Tokmar uh, meditation trance which uh, apparently is legendarily, it, it can lead lost souls back home. And so he's trying to get in contact with Spock through this manner. And Amanda, it seems like she's sort of lying to Michael, and Michael's kind of on to her. She's like, you've always told me the truth, and that's how I can tell you're lying. Because Amanda says, oh, I don't know where Spock is. He could be anywhere. And even if I did know where he was, I wouldn't turn him in to be convicted of a crime he surely did not commit. And Michael says, you've got to know. He's my brother, and I love him too, and I'm the one who can help him. And Amanda's like, no, I don't know about that. And then Michael says, listen, I know that you're lying. You've got to trust me to help you help Spock. Otherwise, Section 31 is going to come get him. Who knows what's going to happen? And then Amanda says ominously, well, Spock is not as you remember him. Mm. Yes. Okay. So back on Disco, Pike and, and Tyler are in a shuttle. And they're inside the rift, but they're trying to, there's like an aperture in the middle of the, the rift. It's almost like a black hole and it's kind of sucking things in. So they're told to avoid the aperture, get as close as they can. But as they're approaching, they start to experience more temporal distortions. And so they're told to back off. But one distortion in particular is Pike looks behind him and sees him and Tyler facing off behind them in the like sort of like storage area of the shuttle. And Pike is screaming something maybe in like Klingon. And Pike has, uh, no, Tyler is screaming something in Klingon. And Pike has his phaser fixed on him and he shoots Tyler. And he's sort of confused by this. Meanwhile, he and Tyler in real time are sort of like, oh, what's going on? Uh, So... They pull back and they try to get the probe launch, which they are able to do. And then they are hit by a temporal shockwave. And the shuttle is lost in the rift. Discovery is unable to find it on its sensors. And it's so what, Saru it's, has... It's what now? It's sensors. Sensors. We're not able to pick them up on sensors. Sensors. You know, on Discovery, they say sensors. They do. They don't say sensors. That's sensors. really uh, early 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I still love it because it's, it's totally a thing. Yes, absolutely. It's fun. I feel like, yeah, TNG. Listeners, if you're watching and you haven't watched Lower Decks, there's an episode where there's a whole little thing about sensors versus sensors. Yeah, because everyone calls them sensors. No one calls them sensors. It's ridiculous. Okay, why would you do that? Even, Even 200 years from now. Saru is now is, is acting captain, essentially. He's taking over. He's the first officer. And so he says, listen, we're changing this from a science mission now to a rescue mission. And he tasks everyone to figure out what's going on. And, uh, you know, he tell, Tilly tells him that, okay, the radiation inside of that, that rift, that tachyon radiation, is, is deadly in five hours. And so they have five hours to figure something out. But inside of the rift, time is apparently whipped up like something in a blender. And so it's past and present and future all in a jumble. It's completely nonlinear you know, fractured. And Saru suggests, well, we know one person who's certainly unaffected by time anomalies, Mr. Paul Stamets, who once helped them last time, Mud, trying to take over the ship. God love Mud. 
God love mud. I would get that as a bumper sticker, honestly. Just God love mud. No one would know what it means. (laughs) Um, Also, I'm not crazy on mud. Okay, so (laughs) back on Vulcan, uh, Amanda does take Michael to like a sort of a hidden cave. I think it turns out to be sort of like a burial chamber um, where she's been keeping Spock. And we finally see Spock. He's got a beard. He's hot. It's hot as hell. And, uh, but he's also completely sort of out of it. He's in like sort of a, a fugue state. He's mumbling things over and over to himself, numbers and the, uh, the, the like first directives of logic and uh, parts of Alice in Wonderland. He's, she's just completely in a dissociative state. Um, and apparently he's been like that for two days. Uh, and he's been drawing the angel on on the cave walls. And Michael says, listen, we got to get him to a doctor. And Amanda's like, absolutely not. Um, because they would turn him in. And she says, I have the right as a, the, an ambassador's wife to claim diplomatic immunity. Diplomatic immunity. And so she won't turn him in. And she and Michael are fighting about this. And then, dun-dun-dun, Sarek walks in. Oh, yeah, hit him with the dun-dun-dun. I'm always ready for a dun-dun-dun. I know you're always ready for a dun-dun-dun. Sarek walks in and he's like, what if I decide he's got to be turned in? Oh, snap! Uh, so let's cut back to the shuttle. In the shuttle, uh, they're going, it's like all crazy and time is all whipped up and weird and things are happening. And so um, Pike gives Tyler an order to vent the plasma in a like, particular signals, like vent it and burn it in three short bursts over a certain period of time. I forget exactly what the, the time things were because let's admit it, I was... I thought it was five seconds. Was it was it every might five be five seconds. seconds. Was it three bursts over five seconds? I think so. Great. Well... I remember my God numbers. Remember my numbers. Oh, yeah. And on Discovery, Discovery, Tilly and Sam are trying to work out the problem because basically the idea is if time is completely nonlinear within the rift, then in <clears throat> the mycelial network, time is all happening all at once. So it might be able to plot all of the time across the four-dimensional grid of the mycelial network. Don't think about it too hard. Just go back to Vulcan where <laughs> Amanda and Spock are now having an argument about... Uh, whether or not whose fault is what. It's just a, it's, it is a, a familial argument about the raising of their children. Oh, Amanda yeah. and Sarek. Yes, what did I say? Spock. Spock. Amanda and Sarek are having an apartment. And, and Amanda and Sarek are having an argument. And um, Amanda's basically saying like how she had to safeguard their children because they were both Vulcan and not Vulcan. And they were on both sides of the looking glass like Alice in Wonderland. And she had to prepare them for feelings of extreme disorientation. Um, but uh, nonetheless, oh, and we this is also where we find out that Spock suffered from a learning disability called the Latak Terai, um, which we learn more about later. But basically, it made him uh, unable to sort of work things out as quickly as Vulcan's. It's like a spatial and numerological dysphagia. Dyslexia uh, in Vulcan. It's a dyslexia, sure. A Vulcan dyslexia, but uh, like affecting your logic and your idea of spatial forwards mm. and backwards ideas, whatever. Um, and at that moment, Spock recites some Alice about the, the, the nature of madness and how one knows when one is mad. And uh, that was right after Sarah had said, you give them this book about chaos. 
Anyway, Sarek decides, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have Michael deliver Spock to Section 31. And before everyone can get up in arms, he explains, because listen, Michael, if she doesn't follow her duty, her Starfleet career will once again be in jeopardy. And they will hunt Spock down like a fugitive. And uh, he becomes slightly emotional in saying he's not prepared to lose both of their children in one day. And so I think that kind of seals the deal. He's, you know, a Vulcan. Back on the shuttle, things are going not great. And uh, just when things seem like they're uh, like at a, have sort of peaked at a leveled out at not great, suddenly a huge weird probe thing attacks the ship. It's the probe they sent in like 30 seconds ago or whatever from the from their own shuttle. And it's back and it looks very different. It's been totally upgraded. It's got weird like tentacle limbs and stuff. And it, it looks like something out of the Matrix. It looks like one of the sentinels from the Matrix. Um, and so that's not a great sign. And, and the ship is now being like rocked by that. Meanwhile, Burnham is bringing Spock into Section 31. I did manage to find out the assignation of their ship which I wondered if was a little Easter egg because it is the NCIA 9-3. Michael comes in and Leland, who people may recall, is the de facto leader of Section 31 and the captain of the Section 31 ship, uh, is explaining to Michael, like, listen, I just want to help Spock as well, you know, we are not sure that he killed anyone. We just want to help him get his mind back in order. And that's what this procedure is going to do. It's going to help sort out his mind. It'll take several hours. Why don't you go get some rest? We're headed to Starbase. Uh, what does he say? 23? There's a lot of, yes, Starbase 23. That's, that's the next episode. There's a lot of Starbases to remember in these two episodes. Oh, that's right. The next one was 11. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, numbers. Says, numbers. Yeah. Numbers. Numbers. Um, and so she asked Michael, is there anything that you know about Spike, uh, Spock's mind? And she mentions the Latak Terai, and that's where he's, Leland sort of is familiar with this Latak Terai situation. Uh, so she leaves uh, Michael. Michael is with Spock, and Leland leaves a while, for a while. And she sort of, like, tries to speak to him. And he says, she thinks of the numbers one more time, and she realizes the Latak Terai, maybe the numbers he's been saying are backwards, are inversed because of his, uh, his dysphagia, his dyslexia. That's what I do. That's what I do. It's a real thing. I think actually, when it's not when it's numbers, it's not technically dyslexia. dyslexia I, think I, think. It's, I thought it was dyscalculia. Oh, who knows? Should I do it? I don't know. Hey, I potato, potato, dyspraxia. Fun fact. Yes. Do you want to know a fun yes. mathematical fact? Don't threaten me with a good time. Well, if you invert numbers, the difference is always divisible by nine. Say, oh, the rule of nine. Yes. Yes, I've heard of this. You have heard of this. Yes, so, of for instance, it's 81 and yes. 19. Of course. Well, I actually don't know what the difference is, but whatever it is, it divides by nine as an example. So You just you just disfract there because you meant 81 and 18. Yeah. You said 81 and 19 as evidence. Yeah. Of your, you did. Well, listen, but you've got it right. So, for instance, the difference between 81 and 18 is 63, yes. and, the, and divide that by nine, and you have seven. Well, hello, hmm. Dolly. Do it with any number you like, and Great. that is the case. Well, well, I will. I expect to have a very exciting Sunday night after this. Please do. Um, oh, my will. Uh, back on the Discovery, um, 
they're able to find Pike's signal within the the array, within the the sort of the rift, the weird field, uh, because one of the one of the science officers also went to test pilot school and knows this signal that test pilots use to help people find them within debris. And so Stamus is trying to calculate the trajectory. Unfortunately, said like uh, bursts are appearing at different times in time. Right, so one Tilly says one happened three hours ago, one happened eight seconds ago, one happened ten minutes ago, and Samus is like, yes, of course, nonlinear temporal pro- progression is complicated, but if the signals happen at different times and they use the mycelial network as a control, they're able to find out where the ship is, and then Samus realizes the ship is drifting towards the aperture where they will lose them forever within the time rift. Meanwhile, on the shuttle, uh, Pike and Tyler have activated the shield because they're trying to stave off this uh, sentinel weird uh, thing because it's trying to dig into the ship. And when they scan it, they find out that the the probe, remember, they sent out maybe a minute before everything went completely pear-shaped, has now aged 500 years. Oh, excuse me. Has now aged 500 years. And... uh, you know, when this is a podcast, by the way, you have your special, there's a special effect that I put yeah. on this. And it's it's like super reverby and like, it's great fun. Well, listeners. If you are listening, that's what happens. 500 years. Just in case you need another, another take of that. <laughs> so the tentacles break through the ship and they're attacking everything and they try to attack Pike and Tyler saves him, but then they attack Tyler and then Pike is has to save Tyler and he has a flashback at that moment because what he didn't see was the tentacles holding Tyler down. So he shoots the tentacles and also hits Tyler, but the tentacles die. And but one piece of the tentacle flies over to the control port and starts like like breaching the data controls of the of the ship of the little shuttle. And Meanwhile, Stamus sees that this is about to happen, that they're about to drift into the aperture. And so he and Tilly are rushing to the transporter room. He says, Tilly, you got to transport me into the ship in the middle of the time rift. And Tilly's like, da, 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 I don't know. It seems weird. It seems dangerous. If I miss, if you're off by even the slightest bit, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. And he goes, oh, Tilly, trust the math. Also, there's more to that quote, which I'll say for quotable moments. Quotable but- moments. I love that. It's like, it's like you're in the room. Mm. Uh, so... <laughs> He tells Tilly to trust math. He transports the geese over to the shuttle. He's able to get the shuttle to exit the anomaly, but the probe is still attached and it's still accessing the data core. And as it gets closer to Disco, it starts accessing the data core of Discovery. And then they run out of plasma because they invented all that plasma to make the signal. And so now the probe is dragging them back into the rift and towards the aperture. Dun, dun, dun. Is that stressful enough for you? Well, too bad, because we're going back to Section 31 slash NCIA 93 slash whatever. And Giorgio uh, runs up to Michael and says, I've disabled all the cameras and we have exactly 60 seconds and here, here's what's about to happen. The machines that they're about to use on Spock are Terran technology. And what they do, they're memory extractors and they will destroy your brother's mind. So you you have the option now of hitting me, uh, getting in there, saving Spock and getting away or you're going to lose your chance now, but this is the moment. And, and Michael says, why are you doing this? And uh, at first she says, Michael says, you're doing this out of the good of, goodness of your heart. And Georgiou says, no, out of the goodness of yours. Ha ha ha. But then she explains like, you get Spock, uh, you look good. Uh, Leland looks bad, which makes me look good. And so there is a Machiavellian layer mm-hmm. to her decision. But 
they do have a fight, and Michael is able to overwhelm. There's a little wink with it. There's a little wink, but then they really fight for real. (laughs) There's a few, like... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, like, yeah, uh, counters and stuff like that. It was pretty great. Mm. And then uh, Michael goes in. She's able to save Spock by knocking out the doctors. She makes it to uh, her own shuttle, and they take off. Okay, so Michael and Spock are in the wind. Back in Disco, they can't get a transporter lock on Pike and Stamets and Tyler uh, from Discovery because of all the interference. And there's like 34 seconds until they're being dragged into the portal. And so Pike says, you know, Stamets, can you figure out where we are manually and set up the transporter coordinates? And Stamets says, well, yeah, sure. Of course, I think so. He says, do it. And then send it to Discovery. Meanwhile, I'm going to set the self-destruct. Meanwhile, Tyler is, is trying with like main power and like some sort of implement to just smash the part of the probe that's in the in their like control deck to pieces and uh so they set the self-destruct they're able to transport away the ship blows up and they're back on the ship um in the meanwhile on the ship once they're back on the bridge something very strange happens to arium she is watching the computer she's watching like the feed of the probe remotely trying to access the data on the discovery and then her like eyes flash red, and then these three little red dots flash in her eyes. Scary, scary. But uh, I guess we'll come back to that later. Meanwhile, on section thirty-one, Michael has staged her rescue, and uh, they are able to get away. And uh, Leland tries to chor- char- to like chew out Giorgio. He's like, "How could you let her get away?" Blah blah blah. And Giorgio says, "Ha ha ha ha, Leland, you need me, so don't act so tough because you need." to keep Burnham from finding out. And Leland's like, from finding out what, tell, And she says, from finding that you're responsible for the death of her parents. Um, Pike goes to thank the crew. And um, Tilly says, hey, don't thank the crew so fast because there is now a shockwave coming from the shuttle explosion. And it's going to destroy us. So Pike tells Detmer to get them out of there and they warp out just before the explosion. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Starfleet is going to be on the search for Burnham and Spock. And they you see like a bunch of, of Section 31 ships moving through an asteroid belt. And then, of course, hidden in one of the asteroids are um, Spock and Burnham. And Burnham finally is able to like look at the coordinates by flipping the numbers that Spock is saying to the other side. And she finds a planet based on those coordinates. It is the planet of Talos Four. And Burnham sets a course to Max Warp. Talos 4, baby! For those of you who are Super Trek nerds, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, first let me throw these papers. Hold on, hold on, everyone. I know this is a big moment for all of us. Paper throw! Maybe I'm going to get a sound effect for that, because I feel like it's not effective when you, as a sound effect when you actually yeah. do it. Listen, even I'm critical of, I don't know how to throw papers. I don't know how to celebrate, period. I'm not a celebrator. I'm a calculator. Okay. Uh, okay. So, episode eight, If Memory Serves. And I love the title of this episode because it has, it's got like three meanings. <laughs> Does it? Um, yeah. Well, memory serves as in like... Well, we... Um, well, I can't think okay. of three meanings. I can think of two. Well... I'll get to it. I'll come to it. Okay. <laughs> I'm taking some notes. Okay, so we get the previously on Star Trek in the retro, the original series Star Trek font, and you get like a quick overview of 
what many people may not remember or have never experienced, the pilot episode of Star Trek, the original series. Yes? It was what? terrible. Yeah, it was a pretty awful, I mean, there it were never cool got things made. about it. Star Trek almost never got made because it was so bad. Well, Star Trek, actually, the original series never had great ratings over no. the three years that it was out. It only actually became popular in syndication. Mm. So, yeah. But oof, I'm glad they didn't go with their original plan in the pilot. It gives us a few great things. Um, no one really ever cared about Captain Pike, but he was all right in that first episode. Number one stands out. Before seeing Discovery, she stood out as like a cool character on the show, on the ship. And otherwise, like Spock is an alien, but he doesn't have any real interesting characteristics whatsoever. And the bridge looks weird. Anyway, I'm not going to get into a whole thing about the pilot. But you get to see the pilot. And in that pilot, before there was a James T. Kirk, there was a Captain Pike running Starship Enterprise. And he heads down to a planet in the Talos system. And he meets... I mean, how I don't know if I can describe a whole other episode to describe this episode, but it's in short, he meets some aliens with really giant heads who have telepathic powers and they're able to make things seem as they are not. And he falls in love with a woman who turns out to be a projection of these three aliens who had found a woman who was near death and made her appear good, but then they try to trap Pike down there so that he can mate with the woman that they've created whose name is Vina, but then Pike sees through their illusion and instead of uh, killing them, he decides he's going to find a way to work with them, but they say he can't take Vina with him because she can only exist near the three super minds, and so he has to leave, and that is the sad and tortured story of the Star Trek pilot. I feel like they made it too complicated. Good job. I mean, Telosians. Yeah. Telosians. It's, it's, a, it's definitely a pilot episode, and there's a lot of things wrong with it, and I think one of the triumphs of Star Trek Discovery's second season is that they were able to mine that first episode for all it was worth mm. to give us this interesting aspect not only of like where Spock goes to get healed and various other things and the cool thing that happens at the end, but also we get to peer into Pike's mind and now he he develops depth as a character because he has this woman he left behind. We never see Pike again after that first episode. I don't think he's even mentioned in, in subsequent Star Treks. No. Maybe it's a passing remark in like later franchises or something. I don't think he's mentioned until the movies, is he? I think that might be true. You mean the the reboots? Yeah. The reboots. Yeah, I'm trying to think of maybe in in earlier friend like in TNG or DS9 or Voyager if he's like mentioned, you know, they just like throw him up there or like Enterprise or something. But I can't think of a, a single instance in the summer. I can't happened. think of one. It's hard to to discern between what I know and what I what I have read in nonfiction accounts. <laughs> of Starfleet. Things but blur. That's neither here nor there. I may or may not have a book of the history of Starfleet. Uh, written as if it's real. <laughs> okay, so that's the backstory. We go from that pike, and they use the original footage, which was kind of cute, and to the pike, our, our pike, our uh, Anson Mount, is that his name? Yes. Anson Mount Pike. He's on the bridge. He's sort of staring out there and he's like, there's no word from Michael. I hope she finds Spock before Section 31. And meanwhile, in Section 31, Leland is getting sort of chewed out by the Admiralty and they're saying, how could you let Michael escape? This is a sign, a further sign of her, her penchant for mutiny. He takes all the full responsibility for her the security lapse and a sign that he's sort of like 
kowtowing to um, Georgia's wishes. Uh, the Admiralty underscore how vital finding Spock and getting what's in his head out is to figuring out what's going on with these red signals. Giorgio makes the suggestion that they set a Federation-wide alert to look out for the shuttle, but not to tell Discovery about it because she feels that Michael's connection with people on Discovery would make things complicated. And the Admiralty likes that and says, like, what other ideas do you have? And then Leland starts talking, like, uh, we were asking Giorgio, actually. Uh, so you can see that Leland is not exactly enjoying this. Um, but the Federation does, the Admiralty says, like, well, yeah, they keep mentioning this, this control, which is like a computer threat analysis thing that allows them to sort of like foresee or predict or calculate the likelihood of various things. And so the threat analysis for control um, about uh, like Michael and, and Spock is pretty high. Uh, and then Giorgio has to inform Pike and Discovery that Michael has escaped, but they said like, we're going to look for her. We need you to keep combing that debris field. You hear the motorcycle? Because... We need you to keep combing that debris field and finding out if you can find any of the like remnants of that probe that was that came back after 500 years and figure out what's going on there, what it wanted from your computers. Um, and so they're sort of like, it's a way to keep them out of the search for Michael and also to keep an eye on them. Uh, and then after that's over, Pike talks to Tyler and he's like, he wants to know the truth about Tyler and Michael, which Tyler relates to him in sort of like... Um, antiseptic terms. He's like, oh, I loved her and she was kind of into me and then uh, I betrayed her. I was not the man she thought I was and uh, things didn't work out, but we're 100% professional now. And I think Michael is great. May I be excused? Uh, essentially is how that conversation goes. Um, meanwhile, Michael is on the shuttle headed toward Talos 5. She's learning the history of Talos, which apparently is that there was a thriving populace down there and then there was a huge nuclear war. And it killed most of the people. And there's a small remnant of the population that remains. And they have extremely strong psychogenic abilities. Uh, and also travel in the Taylor system is prohibited by Starfleet. Nonetheless, they arrive. And when they come out of warp, the, they, are surround, they are like around a black hole. And the ship is being basically ripped apart by the gravitational forces. And as Michael tries to reverse, Spock, who's like awake but still not really, is sort of nonverbal. At this point, he's no longer mumbling, but he's not really making sense. He just stops her from being able to get the ship away and then eventually just like kind of knocks her aside and sends the ship into the black hole. And when they get into the black hole, they find out that it was an illusion. And the planet of Talos V is spread out before them. Um, there, the, there's a nice little subplot in this episode about Hugh Culber, as you remember, the doctor was killed by Ash Tyler in season one. Mm. And he is back from the mycelial network in real life, made out of real DNA from the Jostep's cocoon thing. Uh, and he is having a little bit of trouble adjusting to the fact that he's back alive. He feels very strange in his new body, even though he has memories of who he was. And the awkwardness is extended to the relationship between him and Stamets, because uh, they were married. And then as they're walking around, Culber sees Tyler walking down the ship's pathways and definitely gives him sort of the evil eye. It's a little interesting. Meanwhile, uh, on the bridge, Tyler finds out that the crew is still searching for Michael. They're staying in the debris field, but they're doing all this searching from a distance for Michael. 
And um, Tilly is, is searching through the sensors and the data, and Tilly she's turned up the. Excuse me. Tilly is searching through the sensors and the data, and there's no debris from this from the probe. That's right. In the you're right there. Something yeah, wrong with your something wrong with your wee, face. Having a wee fit. Having a wee Tourette syndrome. That's right. And there is there's no pro parts in the debris. <laughs> Uh, back on Talos 4, Michael lands the shuttle. She gets off to explore. She sees there's like a weird humming coming from all around and these strange pulsating plants and the humming is coming from the plants. And she's sort of looking at the, it seems completely deserted and desolate. But as she looks back down at the ship, she sees a woman, just a casual woman dressed in what I would describe as Star Trek, the original series, casual miniskirt onesie look. Mm. Uh, walk up to the ship and walk into the ship. And so Michael confronts her with her phaser up and she says, who are you? And then Michael says, usually it's the one with the gun or the phaser who asks the questions. And she says that she's an old friend of Captain Pike's and that Spock and her have been there before. And then she like looks up at the into nothingness and she says there, they know that you're here and they invite you to come down so they can help heal your brother. And that's when Michael realized that Spock wanted her to bring him here because he knew that he could be healed. Um, by the Telosians. So they 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 beam down to the Telosians and oh the woman introduced herself as Vina, obviously. You know Vina, right? From the intro. And they beam down just the two of them, leaving Vina in the shuttle. But when they get down to below the surface, Vina is also there. And Michael asks, is she real? And then the Telosians show up with their their big skulls, their pulsating brain sacks, and they say, She is very real. And they're speaking telepathically. And then Michael's like, do you have to talk telepathically? And they're like, we can converse with you in the ancient way, if you so desire. They look over Spock and assess that he is experiencing time in a fluid form rather than linear. And that because he depends so much upon logic, he's having trouble interpreting what is going on around him. They say that they can show Michael what's going on inside of Spock's mind, but they need payment. Hmm. And the payment is what truly happened between Spock and herself, how they, how she truly wounded him. And if she gives them that, then they will help show her what's in Spock's mind and heal him. And Michael agrees to that after some cajoling by Vina, but only if she can see what's in Spock's minds first. All right? So we get a flashback. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's the night Michael runs away. And it's uh, the angel appearing to Spock, and he thought it was a dream, but it, it showed him where Michael was and that she would die from like this monster that would kill her. Not a monster, a beast that is probably native to uh, Vulcan that would have killed her in the forest where she was running away to. And so Spock goes and tells his parents, and Michael is where she's supposed to be. So he realizes that it wasn't necessarily a dream, it was a premonition. And then... A few months ago, while he was on the Enterprise, he gets these visions again, and he says, okay, I know what's going on. So he is he's led by these visions of the Red Angel once more to a desolate planet, and there he conducts a mind meld with it, even though it is, is humanoid inside of a weird suit, but he's able to do a mind meld with it, and he sees what he calls, quote, the end. And all we see are like big metal things in space shooting basically planet-exploding missiles that every recognizable planet in the Federation. And I guess it is extinction. It destroys everything. Uh, and uh, Michael uh, basically 
like staggers from that memory and she falls over and she sees Spock and Spock is now lucid and he says, now you see. And then she passes out. That was pretty cool. It's first, you know, Spock doing his thing. I enjoyed it. I'm in a spot. All right, Disco. Back on Disco, Hugh and Stamets. Uh, Stamets tries to bring in dinner, and he's kind of trying to help Hugh feel comfortable, but Hugh is definitely not having it. It's like it's supposed to be his favorite meal, but he says, like, I remember that it's my favorite meal, but eating it doesn't feel good. Like, my senses don't feel the same. And that segues to him saying, maybe I don't feel the same about you, Stamets, Paul. And they have a little bit of an argument, and Paul knocks over a tray of dinner rolls, I believe, and then storms out. Meanwhile, in the ready room, Tyler and Pike are having it out, and Tyler's basically like, listen, you don't have to trust me per se, but I would say call off the search. you got to trust Michael to find Spock on her own and contact you because any searching that Discovery does, you must believe that even beyond Tyler, you are being monitored by Section 31, and if you find her, you will only point a light at Michael. And then he departs, which I thought was was indicative of the you know people who know Michael well. Um, and as Pike is walking uh, in the halls, thereafter, Saru tells Pike that someone has sent unauthorized subspace transmissions from Discovery to an unknown location. Three large bursts, which I believe you called petabytes or something. Which maybe is like a terabyte of terabytes, I'm guessing. Who knows? Maybe it's a terabyte of terabytes of terabytes. I will trust you. Yeah, well... I will Google it later. Meanwhile, back on Talos, Talos, Michael wakes up. She's alone with Spock. They have a very awkward conversation in which he tries to apologize. And, my, and Spock is like, I'm not here to absolve you. I'm here to communicate what I know to you so that we can save the human race. Um, or not the human race, all species in the Federation. Uh, but he did write, uh, or I did write, uh, that when he was connected to the Red Angel, he felt, he distinctly felt that what was inside the suit, even though it had like a quantum field around it through which he could not penetrate, that it was human thoughts and emotions coming from that suit, of feelings of loneliness and desolation. And so maybe now this humanoid in the Red Angel suit is in fact a human in the Red Angel suit. And that's pretty exciting. They continue to explore Spock's memories. And this next one is Spock remembering his time on Starbase, I want to say five, when he is at the clinic. I think that's where he went to the clinic. And he's sort of like writing on the floor, all these things, and looks like parts of signals. A doctor comes in and the doctor's like, well, the signals that you mentioned and that you've been writing about and talking about have just happened. How did you, how did you know these things would happen? And he goes, okay, so they're, they weren't a hallucination. The Red Angel is real. And he basically says like, okay, so I don't need to be here. I'm not, I'm not losing my mind. I need to do something else altogether. And they say like, well, we don't think leaving is a good option. In fact, some Section 31 agents are on their way to get you now. And so Spock uses the Vulcan nerve pinch to knock all three of them out and escape. And that's when Michael says, wait, you didn't kill anybody? What happened after this? Because basically everyone thinks you killed these three doctors in order to escape. And Spock has that. They have a very um, sanctimonious or an acrimonious relationship with one another. Spock says, even in my own mind, you question me. Uh, Do you see any murder here? Uh, So uh, back on Disco, Hugh walks into the mess hall. He's silent. He approaches Tyler in anger. He knocks all the food off Tyler's table. He knocks the table over. He says, you killed me. Tyler tries to apologize. He says, it wasn't me. He says, oh, yeah, sure. So it was Vogue. Then he goes, yeah, Vogue. I mean, and then Hugh says, so bring him out. And Tyler says, it doesn't work like that. And then um, Hugh tries to get 
provoked to come out by starting a fight. He's like beating Tyler with a chair and pushing him and everything. And Saru is there with Tilly and he holds everyone back. He says, no, 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 this, this must play out. And so they fight and there's a lot of pushing over tables and swinging around and grips and things and reversals and whatever. And then eventually they're sort of, I think Tyler is able to subdue the doctor. Uh, not like subdue, like tap out, but basically prevent him from hitting him anymore. And uh, the doctor says, I don't even know who I am anymore. And Tyler says, who do you think you're talking to? It's a good moment. I thought that was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Did you want to done that then? I did sort of. In case you were wondering, I don't know who I am anymore. And the, the feelings of memory not serving one's reality at present, that is the third uh, entendre of the title, in my opinion. Very good. That's, that's right. Very good, Burmese. Mm-hmm. You, I you write French in three thing. different colors of pen <laughs> so that I can remember these points I'd like to make. Red, black, and green. Okay, so Saru and Pike are talking thereafter, and Pike is sort of surprised that Saru let the fight happen. And Saru says basically that there's no like there's no precedent for this kind of situation. And so he decided to let it go because he was sort of making up it as he goes along. It's a great quote, which I'll use later. And Pike says, okay, well, I'll overlook it now because of the extenuating and like ridiculous circumstances that everyone is in. But this cannot happen anymore. We will not be sorting out our problems through violence, but through the formal code of conduct. And Saru agrees to that. Also, Pike points out that maybe Saru would have made a different call before he went through the Vaharai. Vaharai, if I'm saying that. Puberty. That's right. Since he went through Kelpian puberty and became a warrior. So Pike leaves. Um, Saru goes into his ready room, pours him, I think he pours himself a drink at this point. Anyway, maybe he's just looking down at the desk. Is that the time? That was earlier. Yeah, he just poured himself a drink. Yeah. So he just goes into his ready room to chill. As he's looking down at his desk at some information, he gets a strange feeling. And when he looks over his shoulder, who should be standing there but Vina? And he's like, what? 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 So many dentons. You know what? I'm not mad about it. Yeah. And um, Vina basically explains, they they sort of talk about how they were forced to be apart. And Vina explains that the, the Talusians have given her a sort of like simulacrum, simulacrum is the word I want to use, simulacrum of Pike to spend her time with, even though he was deemed, they were deemed an unfit couple for what they they wanted to, to, if you watch the original series, I believe they wanted Pike to show up so they could create an Adam and Eve for the planet of Talos 4 and repopulate the planet, but they decided Pike was not a fitting match. Anyway, but they did fall in love in their brief incarceration together. And so uh, she has a pike that he, that she keeps on the planet. And he says like, you know, I still think about you. And anyway, they exchange some emotional information, but also she says, you know, the Telosian's ability to project illusions, you know, across the galaxy is limited, but it does work. And there's someone I need you to see. And Pike turns around and who should it be? But Michael, and Michael and Pike are able to speak, but they didn't want to send a, Michael didn't want to send a subspace communication because she also thinks that uh, that section 31 is is following, you know, is like monitoring them. And she tells him first and foremost that Spike is Spike, that's Spike. Pike and Spock. She tells him Spike. first and foremost that Spock is innocent. 
and that there was Terran tech on Section 31 when she brought Spock in. <laughs> now it's going to become a problem. All I can think is Cornwall Pike. and Spike. Yeah, Cornwall and Spike. <laughs> Great. Now that's a spinoff I'd watch. Uh, <laughs> there was the Terran tech they were using. Walls. Strange new, yeah, wolves. Um, they were going to try to rip World. his mind apart. Yeah. And then Spock comes into the conversation. He says uh, that they must find, they must follow the Red Angel's design. He's able to remember the future because of what the Red Angel communicated to him. And that discovery must come to Talos immediately for Spock and Michael and pick them up because they have things to do if memory serves. Future memory, number two. All right, Stamets and Hugh. Uh, meanwhile, are sort of talking about in the after the fight and everything in the mess hall together. And Hugh basically says, "Listen, I don't think I think we should both move on. I don't think this is working. I think you need to let me go because I don't want to be forced into a relationship until I need to organically begin to feel things." And uh, they sort of agree to do that. And then Stamus is called to engineering because they're going to try to jump to Talos Four. Only when they try to jump. Spore drive doesn't work. And it turns out that these spores and the spore drive itself were deliberately corrupted. As they're communicating this to the bridge, Tyler arrives and he's like, hey, what's going on? What's going on with the spore drive? And they're like, I don't know, Tyler. Um, spore drive's not working. Someone sabotaged that. And also someone's been sending secret messages through subspace off our, our, our thing. And he's like, oh, well, it wasn't me. And the Saru's like, oh, no, because it looks like whoever did it was using your uh, passcode or whatever. <laughs> Would be stupid enough to do that though. You know what? I agree. I think it was it was it's in the heat of the moment and they were in a rush. Yeah. But to be safe, they were like, listen, we and I think Pike sort of says that. He says, like, I can't trust you now. We just we're gonna confine you to quarters because evidence points to you, you know, and you're a very likely suspect. But who else? I mean, who else could they have suspected? They don't know about uh, the flashing red dots in Arium's eyes like we do because we've seen them once before. Uh, okay, so um, their plan is to head to start. Since they can't use the spore drive, they will head at warp towards Starbase 11, saying they need repa uh, repairs. And then as they get close to Starbase 11, which is like two light years away from Talos, they will, as Pike says it, uh, change course and run, quote, silent, whatever that means when you have a giant warp engine. Uh, okay, <clears throat> and just as they decide to do that, uh, we get another close-up of Arium's eyes and the three red dots, blink, blink, blink again in her eyes. Back on Talos, they've got all the information they need to give to Michael, and but they need their final payment, which is the memory of what Michael did to Spock in order to hurt him, in order to get him to keep away from her because she thought she was saving him from the logic extremists. And so we get our final flashback of the episode. Yes, it's the night Michael's running away and Spock is trying to stop her. And he says, no, we should do this as a family. You can't run away. And she says, I got to protect the family. And he says, fine, well, then I'll go with you. And she says, I don't want you to go with me. And then she turns around and she has to say, I don't want you to be in my family. I don't want you to be in my life. We're not... Um, brother and sister. You're a Vulcan. You're incapable of the feeling of love. You're not worth my time. And finally, she calls him uh, like a filthy half-breed or something like that. Mm. Very sad. And then they're both crying. But she's walking away pretending that she meant it. And he's crying. crying. How adorable yes. was Minnie's fog? So oh, adorbs. So, cute. so adorbs. So cute. Yeah. And he was so hurt. 
You just wanted yeah. to cuddle him. Yeah. Mini Spock with his bowl cut. So cute. Mm, it was super cute. It was super cute. Okay. So they come out of that memory and Michael's kind of tearing up and Spock is all, you know, Spocky, you know, and she apologizes and stuff, but Spock is really not hearing it. She says like, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to turn off your humanity. He says, my humanity was a weakness. She says, your humanity was beautiful. And she says she was sorry. And then Spock says, no, you were a catalyst. You showed me that, uh, I needed to contain my humanity and become the, the logical person that I am. And you drove me to become exceptional. Um, and so in a way, this damage uh, led to Spock's exceptionalism, but also uh, irreparably damaged his relationship to his humanity. I hope that one day he will find a human friend that will allow him to explore that human side of him. But we'll never know what happens we'll in Spock's know. future. We'll never know. But one parting awful jab he gives to... Um, Michael and you know as a as a sibling myself this is hurtful he says it was foolish to idolize you and I regret it deeply that's mm. a hard that's a hard that's a hurtful thing to say to an older it's sibling such a painful exchange that whole thing yeah it was it was yeah it was hard to watch mm. every time and you just Even when wanted I was it to be notes. repaired you were watching going yeah. oh, please can this can this you know yeah you're like Spock one day you will give up your life for your best friend <laughs> okay so Discovery is close, but they're being followed by Leland's ship. And so they're now, it's like a race to get to Talos 5. Uh, Leland tries to get Pike to stand down by sending him a message. And Pike is like, no, forget that noise. He drops out of warp. He tries to lock in on um, Michael and Spock. I'm going to get these names right. Or heaven help me. Michael and Spock. And then Section 31's ship, the NCIA-93, also drops out of warp. And they also lock on Spock and Michael's signatures. And so now they're both trying to beam up these two people at the same time. And Leland gets back on the horn. And he says, listen, if you don't let them go, man, we're going to rip them apart atom by atom. You're going to destroy both of them. Is that what you want? Because I will do it. And in that moment... He wouldn't do it, but they played chicken. It was a game of chicken, but obviously they needed Spock alive. But I think... And I think Leland would have won if he had held out, too. You know what I mean? Like, uh, No, not Leland. I think Pike would have won. Because to Leland, the information was as dear to him as was the lives of the crew members Mm. to Pike. And I don't... But I don't think he is as willing to go as far as Pike would have been to save his crew. Anyway, that's without... I don't know why I'm gonna, I don't know why I'm yelling at you about it. The point is, <laughs> save it for Kapla Corner. Save it for Kapla Corner. Uh, at that moment, Pike is visited once again by Vina, his own private uh, sort of like hallucination, and she says, "Let them go. Let your friends go. You know, it's better this way. This is the smart thing to do." And so Pike says, "Goodbye, Vina." No, she says, "Let us all go," because you know they can't be together because he can't be on the planet. Now we'll get into that again. So Pike comes back from his uh, hallucination. He says, he tells him, disengage the, tra- the, the transporter beam. And Section 31 beams Michael and Spock aboard. And Leland says to Disco, well, I'm glad you followed our orders. I'll put that in my after-action report. Now report to Starbase 11 where you will wait for disciplinary action. <laughs> like, just short of sticking his tongue out <laughs> before signing off. And... Uh, then they, they cut off the transmission and Georgia comes up to Leland. She says, Doesn't, don't you think it was surprising that uh, Pike, gave, uh, Pike gave up so quickly? Um, you know, you would think someone who cared about his crew so dearly would have at least mouthed off a few times back and forth. He just kind of gave up. And uh, 
Leland is so sort of self-important and self-absorbed. He's like, whatever. And I, I know what I'm doing. And listen up, Giorgio. This time, I'll do the talking. Uh, at the same time, Disco, which is still around the planet, the idea is that the the Section 31 chip has then just immediately jumps away in with, you know, like a like a rabid animal with their prize. And so they jump to warp and they go away. And meanwhile, Discovery detects a shuttle coming from the surface. Surprise. Surprise. And uh, the shuttle is not answering any hails or anything like that. And Pike goes, no, they wouldn't want to give away their positions, bring it to the shuttle bay. And it turns out, yes, the it was Michael and Spock on that shuttle. Meanwhile, back on the NCIA 9-3, Leland swaggers over to Michael and Spock. He's like, you tell me this, and what do you know about the blah 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 And he's like, it'll go better for you if you answer these questions, otherwise it'll get painful. And Michael says, oh, actually, I don't think so, sir. And he goes, what do you mean by that? And then, very cute moment, Michael says, say goodbye, Spock. And Spock turns to Leland and says, goodbye, Spock. And they fade. Uh, they disappear. And Giorgio then reveals, she goes, oh, the Telosians and their uh, their ability to uh, make illusions across space-time. Yeah, in my, um, in my timeline, I destroyed them and all their stupid little things. And, George, and Leland's like, why don't you tell me? And she's like, oh, and miss out you having to explain this to the Admiralty? <laughs> Not a chance. So, Leland pays for his his uh, his ego once more. Uh, meanwhile, there's a somewhat joyous reunion between Spock and Captain Pike. Spock almost smiles. Uh, <clears throat> on the bridge, they return to the bridge, and uh, Nota Bene, Arium is in the chair when they enter the bridge. Uh, she was she was she had the con. <clears throat> uh, and as they discuss what they're going to do now, Spock says, "As having been a fugitive, there's only one thing I know we can do." And that is to run. And then Pike says, okay. And Pike begins to address the crew. He's about to, I got my pen ready because I was like, oh, he's going to say some beautiful words. He says, I can't ask any of you to make this choice, which is obviously to disobey a direct command. And then Detmer interrupts him and says, course heading, sir. And then Tilly's like, yeah, it seems like we should be getting out of here like now. And then as he looks around, he sees the whole crew is with him. They're standing. And Michael says, sir, I think you've got the crew. And then Pike says, uh, Demmer, get us out of here. And Disco goes to warp. End of season two, episode eight, if memory serves. And I hope you tracked all the memories and the servings that happened in there. I've lost track, but there seem to be about three. I'd say there's three. There's probably more, because that was just that was just what I wrote. And I tossed the papers. They like that. They went to the exact same place they always go. Right behind me. How do you like that? Uh, I mean, I'll accept it. No real stats this episode, unfortunately. Mm, that sucks. There was one yellow alert in in of the across the two episodes. Yeah, go for it. Why not? Hit him with a yellow alert. That's all we got. Yeah, that's it. One yellow alert. Unfortunately, though, we have some exceptional quotes in this episode, so I think it's time for quotable moments. Quotable moments. Do you have any quotes you'd like to you'd like to share before I go on and on as I always I'll do? I'll let you go on this time. Okay. <laughs> well, one that I truly enjoyed, obviously, we both like the Mr. Tyler the Chair outranks the badge. Yes. Um, I really like Stamets when he's trying to convince Silly to help him uh, 
transport to the shuttle in the middle of the time rift. He says, Tilly, trust the math. More importantly, trust yourself. I wouldn't let just anyone beam me in and out of time. That's, that's a sweet moment. And then at the end of that episode, another great line. You know what Pike is great at? He's great at taking someone else's line and turning into something dope. That's kind of his thing. So Tyler says at the end of that episode seven, whether the Red Angel is here to end something or start something, one thing is for sure. We're in the middle of a fight for our future. And Pike says, always, Mr. Tyler, we're always in a fight for the future. That's pretty good. That's pretty good stuff. That's really good. That's good stuff. That's good to remember today. You know what I mean? We're always in a fight for our future. And then uh, the only thing I really pulled from episode eight, besides, you know, I really enjoyed the Sega Night Spock and Night Spock from... Uh, George and Gracie or whatever, uh, was I like Saru's uh, explanation of why he didn't stop the fight when Pike asked him. He says, the Starfleet manual offers no regulatory guidelines for interactions between humans with Klingons grafted to their bones and a ship's doctor returned from the dead. Anyway. Well, it's that's true. fair, right? Totally fair. Uh, he also says it with a weird, like, sarcastic tone that you've never heard from Saru before. He says, like, <laughs> a, a humans with Klingons grafted to their bones and a ship's doctor returned from the dead. It was, I don't know, I just like that. So he was being very stamitzy. I don't know. Mm. I liked it. All right. Well, those were episodes uh, uh, seven and eight of, Star- of season two of Star Trek. Should we get into the next time business? Next time on Set Phasers. Okay. So, next time on Set Phasers, we will be covering uh, episodes 9 and 10. We're coming into the home stretch here of season 2. Episode 9 is called Project Daedalus. And episode 10 is called, get ready for it, The Red Angel. So, I think we're, we're going to we're gonna get some clarity on this Red Angel business. Um, okay. Well, listen, thank you for joining us on this Sunday night. If you enjoyed the program, you can catch us usually every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Live or whenever you like as a podcast. We drop every Monday wherever podcasts come from. So if you see it in your podcast thing, please uh, like and subscribe. Indeed. Um, and of course, we are on Facebook and Instagram at Set Phasers Podcast. Feel free to follow us and join in the conversation of all things Trek. And don't forget, next, uh, is it next? What's the date today? Yes, next weekend, Sunday, 10 4. Uh, yes, we, 10 4. We, we are doing our first Netflix watch party for our patrons only. So feel free to uh, join our Patreon pledge and you can watch a fun Star Trek episode with Aki and me. That's right. That's That leads right into what a great segue, Seth, because if you do want to continue our continuing mission, if you want to support it, you can discover what Discovery has in store for us by supporting us on Patreon. Patreon. You can patronize us. We can take it. Go to patreon.com slash setphasers, and you too can be part of the nerd party on 10-4 when we watch Star Trek together and, and talk about all the uniforms and the choices and the clothes. And oh, the, yeah. We love all that nerd, that nerd shit. Everything. It's all our, yep. it's our jam. We're so into it. Okay. It's totally yeah. our jam. Well, until next time, I am Steph Mans. And I am Aki Burmese. And this has been Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Computer. End program. Mm-hmm.